And good morning. All right, I understand this morning you have one of your missionary families visiting. Dave and Kim Spirik, are you here? All right, Dave, why don't you come up and just give you a couple minutes to greet the church? You want to do that? I don't know, it doesn't Come on. I've never met you, Dave, so I... I uh, just want to give you greetings. My name is David Spirik, and I'm here with my wife, Kim, and our daughter, Caitlin. And uh, we are missionaries to Kiev, Ukraine. Been serving there 17 years. Wow. And we are back in the States for a little while on furlough or home assignment. And we're privileged to be able to have an opportunity to come and be with you, spend some time with you over the next couple of months, and look forward to getting to know everybody a little bit more closely and, and to sharing more about how God's been working in our lives and, and in Ukraine, a different part of the world. And so we're just privileged to be with you. And um, our daughter, Caitlin, is attending Mount Calvary Christian School this semester. So That's awesome. uh, we hope that you'll get to know her a little bit too. Uh, through that venue. So are you living in the area? We're living uh, near Anvil, so it's about a 30-minute drive from here. Okay. So we'll have some time to come and spend time with you uh, in the next few months. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Good to meet you, Dave. Thank you. All right. Take time to greet them after the service and, uh, and have them over to your house for a meal. Right? But uh, I always appreciate missionaries. Uh, honestly, I think missionaries are the front line of Christianity. Uh, when they're willing to leave home, head to a foreign country and serve with their families, uh, missionaries make sacrifices that most of us never really know much about. And I always appreciate the opportunity to have them and to be around them. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit uh, this morning as we start. Uh, at your last missions conference you had, you had the killer bees here. The... Uh, Buckners, the Brenners, and the Buckman. Buckman, right? Buckman, Brenner, and Buckners were here. And uh, I learned a great deal from them. And I want to share a little story of what happened this week, because I want to set up a series in Jonah that we want to do with you. And then I want to kind of set up what I want to say to you today. I got a call this week from a friend of mine who's a pastor not too far from here. And in his ministry, they've been focusing on reaching out into the community, and they've been doing so. And this past week, he shared with me in a conversation, he called, and he said, I got, we got to talk. And as we talked, he said, this is what's happening in our church. He said, we currently have a couple that is a gay couple attending our church, and they're this close to getting saved. And then he said, but here's what I want to share with you. He says, we've had a transgender person attending our church for the last couple months, and this past week, that transgender person put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Okay. That's a neat story. But here was his question. How do we disciple transgenders? And that's where our conversation went. And this is where the, the, the three Bs helped me out. And as we began to converse, let's say this. What we have to do in discipling people like that, that are going to come, they're going to come your way, is go back to Genesis and begin to work through a chronological study of the Bible. And that's what the three B's taught me in the missions conference this last 
uh, well, at your church. And I just was able, in the time I had with him, talk to me, tell me about this, because most of my ministry was to people that lived in a community that had somewhat of a religious background. But what's happening in our culture is there is less and less of a religious background. And those are the people whose hearts are looking for something, whose lifestyle leads to an emptiness that's not there. And he said to me, how do you help someone who's 23 years old, has been neutered, switched, quote, sexes? How do we disciple that person into a life of fulfillment in Jesus Christ? That's a great question. That's what's coming your way in the future. Because the emptiness of the lifestyle does not satisfy. And as Augustine said years ago, our soul is only satisfied when it is satisfied in Christ. And so there's looking for something. But what I want to introduce you to this morning is what, what I've been researching in my own personal study in the last couple months, reading some stuff from New Tribes Missions, reading some stuff that the Buckners and the Buckmans told me to read of how do we present the gospel from Genesis through to the end? How do we reach people who are animists? How do we reach people who have never heard anything of the gospel? How do we reach people who are coming to us who do not have that Judeo-Christian background? It's kind of what Joan is called to do. Go reach them. And it's kind of what we're called to do as we look at situations that are around us right now. And Jonah is one of those stories where God speaks. And how God speaks to Jonah in this particular event is God speaks using events that take place in nature. He's done this all along. He did this with Sodom and Gomorrah when he turned a lady into a pillar of salt. He does this in Jonah when a fish swallows an individual. Stories that for people that aren't believers are kind of, are you kidding me? But what needs to take place in the life of this transgender is not for a person to say, this is what our church believes, but to be able to walk them through and show them this is what God says in his word. So that his word becomes that which has the convicting value. So God speaks through nature. He says that in in Romans chapter 1. Now, let me be clear on this. Can a person get saved when God speaks through nature? No. As BJ just said, a person only gets saved when confronted with the Word of God. But God speaks through nature. I've heard this question this week. Where is God in Harvey? You've probably gotten that question. And I, I hope you can answer that question because God is all over in this. God is everywhere in Harvey. Just think it this way, and we'll go into more depth in this next week when we get into Jonah's life as the storm hits Jonah's life and he gets thrown over in the boat. But think about this. God is showing how a culture is supposed to live. A culture is not supposed to live killing each other. A culture is not to live in anarchy. And America is becoming a place where anarchy is becoming more and more prevalent. In fact, this group, Antifa, has called for a national day of anarchy in November. Okay? 
This is where our culture is heading. So what God does is God, God is showing, hey, I want to show you how a culture is supposed to live. You're supposed to live helping each other. I think what God did this week is blow a hole through the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I think he blew a hole through that so big, uh, you know, it's almost a bomb dropped on it because this is your best day now. I wouldn't want to preach that in Houston today. I wouldn't want to stand up and preach a message of it's all about health, it's all about wealth, it's all about prosperity to people who just lost everything they have and have to start over and completely rebuild. Boy, there's so many places where God is speaking. The, the most embarrassed people in this whole situation are a mayor and a preacher. Think what God is doing just through that. Think of the messages that God is just sending out and just saying to our culture today and speaking. And that's what God did in the life of Jonah. Threw him overboard and in the midst of a sea. God was speaking. And God continues to speak. It's getting interesting if you're watching. I don't know if you follow weathermen or weather forecasts or anything. But if you're following Irma... Have any of you been reading on Irma, what's coming next? Forecasters are already saying Irma may be the worst storm to ever hit America. It's cranking up out in the Atlantic right now. It's about a week offshore. If it hits, they're saying it could be the worst storm ever to hit our country. Think God's speaking to our country? Think he's trying to get our attention? I think so. I think so. Because when he looks, cry out against it, for wickedness is great. And that's what he asked a guy like Jonah to do. So if you want to come with me to Jonah, I'll put it up here on the screen, but let's begin to look at it. There's two overriding themes that come through Jonah. And as we go through the entire book, these two overriding themes will appear over and over again. The first theme is this. God uses flawed people to do his work. Okay? God uses flawed people to do his work. So if you're here today and you're flawed, you're a candidate for God to use. God uses flawed people to do his work. In fact, if you study the scripture... Sometimes the more flawed they were, the more God used them, okay? That's a truth that runs through the book of Jonah, and it runs through the book of Jonah from the very beginning of it all the way through the chapter. But you think about that concept in the history of the Bible. Think about David. Other than murder and adultery, he was a great king. Think about Solomon, thousand wives and concubines, turned his heart away from God. Just begin to think about the characters. Think about Abraham. Okay? Think, think of his life. How would you all wives like it if you weren't able to have kids and your husband came and said, hey, since you can't have kids, you mind if I have this woman over here? That's Abraham. God uses flawed people to do his work. Now, God doesn't expect perfection. We can't give perfection. We mess up, we screw it up, we, we, we will we'll make mistakes, we are flawed people. God doesn't expect perfection, 
God desires faithfulness, and God will always work in your life. He'll always work in my life to bring about faithfulness. That's what he does in the life of Jonah, and the life of Jonah is the story of God pursuing a man. So you have here a church that has a mission statement of passionately pursuing Christ. Last Sunday night, you had a great service here where you just shared mission and vision and values. And, and, and as your elders laid out, here's, here's where we want to go in the future. Equipping people for ministry, maturing in your faith, serving in the church, and community, doing discipling each other through life groups. Discipleship always takes place in small groups. And then, and then reaching out into your community, laying out vision. You're, you were excited about seeing that. But God does his work through flawed people. And God wants to use all of us. He doesn't expect perfection, but he drives toward our faithfulness, and he works in our lives to bring about faithfulness, and he constantly pursues. So as you passionately pursue Christ, you have to realize this. I can passionately pursue Christ because Christ always passionately pursues me. Always. Christ passionately pursues you. Jonah is a story that reveals that very truth. The second theme that's overriding in the book of Jonah is this. God's work of salvation is unstoppable. You can't stop it. It's unstoppable. God's work of salvation is not dependent on you or me. It's him. He's going to get the job done. He's going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And what you see in the book of Jonah, Jonah can run, Jonah can ditch, Jonah can do everything, but God just brings him back, brings him back, brings him back, brings him back, and ultimately, Jonah is about this, God's passionate pursuit of people for salvation. And you're going to see it in the life of Jonah when he rescues Jonah. You're going to see it in the life of the sailors that throw Jonah overboard. And you're going to see it in the lives of the people of Nineveh where God performs a great revival in Nineveh. Why? Because God is on a relentless pursuit of sinners. And God is relentless in his pursuit of sinners. And his work is unstoppable. Satan can't stop it. Jonah running can't stop it. It can't be stopped. Because God is a sovereign God, and he's going to get his work done. Now, what has God ever asked you to do that is simple, easy, unintimidating, out of the spotlight, and not fearful? Let me put Jonah in perspective for you, okay? I need a volunteer this morning. I need a volunteer. I need a man. Okay? Here's what we need of you. We need you, and we'll pay your way. We need you to go to the city of Baghdad this morning and cry out against it because their sins are great. Any volunteers? Anybody want to go to Baghdad? Stand on the city streets and cry out against it. Why don't you want to go? The answer you're thinking in your mind is, that person's going to get killed. 
That's exactly what Jonah was thinking. Because where Jonah was asked to go, Nineveh is really modern-day Baghdad. And so, intimidating, simple tasks, easy, no. The salvation of people requires the sacrifice of us. And so God says, Jonah, I want you to go. And so Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 says this, the word of the Lord, Jehovah there, came to Jonah, Jonah, Jonah in the Hebrew, the son of Amittai. Who is Jonah? Who is he? Well, he's a prophet. Prophesied, lived in the vicinity of 760 B.C. And he's one of the few who prophesied good things to happen in Israel. Okay? Some of the other prophets, when they cried out against Israel, you're going to 70 years of captivity. They were hated. Okay? In fact, some of those guys got themselves killed because of the prophecies that they were asked to give. And when Jesus stood, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. Well, Jonah was one who prophesied good things. In 2 Kings chapter 14, it says this about it. It says, He, Jeroboam II at the time, was over uh, Israel. Uh, Judah and Israel had split into kingdoms, two of them, Judah and Jeroboam II restored Israel's border. Interesting, isn't it? Relevant to our time? He restored the border from Lebo Hamath as far south as the Sea of Arabia. According to the word of the Lord, the prophet or the God of Israel had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai of Gath Hefer. And it goes on, it says there, for the Lord saw that the afflictions of Israel was very bitter, both for slaves and free people. There was no one to help Israel. And the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven. So he delivered them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Joash. He built, he established the borders. Isn't that funny that that's an issue in our day today as well? Establish the borders. Because borders are there and walls are built and gates were built in Scripture to protect the people that lived inside the country. That's been a plan that God has put in place from way back in the book of Genesis. And so Jonah was one that said, hey, Joash, get the borders set. And he's not just saying set the borders, he's saying protect the borders of Israel, protect Israel from those that would come in. Still an issue today. It was an issue in 760 when this guy Jonah was speaking. It's still an issue in our day today. And it will always be an issue until Jesus Christ comes back and sets the borders. Okay. Now, as you get into this, how do you think Jonah was viewed by the people of Israel? Well, let me ask you this. When someone stands up and says, man, I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to protect the people of America. What do the people of America do? They vote him in as the president of the United States. Does everybody like him? No, not everybody likes him. But Jonah was a prophet who stood up in Israel and said, build the wall, build the wall. And what they're saying is protect us, protect us. Protect us from the enemies from outside that want to invade us. And so Jonah, what do you think the people thought of Jonah? They loved him. 
because he was concerned and, and he's saying, God is concerned about your safety as a nation and God is concerned about protecting you and God is concerned about the nation of Israel. He wants to make sure they survive and all down through these years, you just can't get rid of that little pesky nation of Israel. And the reason you can is because God just takes, keeps taking care of that little nation of Israel. He promised he would. So Jonah... Lloyd Ogilvy said in one of the commentaries, to know Jonah is to love him. Lovable character. He really is. He said in the same commentary, he said the reason we love him is because he is so much like us in our response to God's guidance in our lives. And that's so true. And I think as you go through this, you're going to identify with the character Jonah. Because we love characters, and we love to identify with characters. It's like when you watch a movie, you always identify with a character in the movie. Well, you're going to identify, I think, with a Jonah, and you're going to appreciate him. Go to Baghdad, stand in the middle of Baghdad and cry out against it. Yeah, he runs. Yeah, I'd run too. I, if God called me to go to Baghdad today, I'm like, are you sure, Lord? Are you, are you, you really want... John Piper said, I read this this week, John Piper said this, so our problem isn't that we talk to ourselves, our problem is that we listen to ourselves. <laughs> but that was an interesting observation, wasn't it? There's a tr truth in that. So you talk to yourself all you want, just don't listen to yourself, listen to God's word. Jonah was talking to himself, the problem that Jonah had, he listened to himself. And he runs. Here's what God says to him. He says, arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. There's so much in this verse of Scripture that we could deal with. Deal with the issue of sin and evil. God hates evil. God hates sin. And God calls this prophet to go cry out against these people that are committing sin. Because all of this evil has come up into the nostrils of God. And he says, Jonah, go down there. Go up there. Cry out against it. Because his wickedness is great. You have here, in this particular passage of Scripture, God reaching outside the walls of Israel. You have here a story. You have here a prophecy. And you have here a picture coming. That God's concern for people is not limited to the nation of Israel. But what you're going to see and what you learn from the book of Jonah is that God's concern for people and God's desire for salvation extends beyond the Jewish people. It extends to the Arabs who live up in Nineveh. It extends to the world. That's in this verse. World missions is in this verse right here. And here you see the heart of God. And the heart of God is a heart for all people to come not just the Jews. And so he says something here in this verse. He says, arise, go to Nineveh. So God calls. Arise, go, and cry out. Sound exactly what he wants us to do here in the places where we live? Get off your seat, go, and cry out. Call out. Where is Jonah to go? He is to go to Nineveh, that great city. I like to liken it this way. Nineveh at that time is the most influential. It's the most powerful city on earth. It was, a, it was massive. 
was massive. It's the largest city on earth at the time. History tells us this. History tells us that they killed Jonah's uncle. And it's one of the reasons that Jonah didn't want to go up there. Nineveh was known as a brutal city. One of the things that they did in Nineveh was they would just take you and they would nail you to the wall, the city wall that went around. One of the ways they just take you and they just nail you to the wall. It's one of the ways that they deal with people. Okay. I don't know how they killed his uncle, but they killed Jonah's uncle. And so you, now you have, you have a conflict going on between Jews and Arabs. Guess what? It's been going on for a long time, guys. That's been going on for a long time. And God reaches down into the life of one Jewish prophet and says to that Jewish prophet who was impacted because of an uncle that was killed by these Arab people and says, Jonah, go up there and cry out against it. Yeah, Lord, I don't want to go up there and cry out against it. You know what they did to my uncle? You know what they're going to do to me? God didn't. He just says, go. Go to Sin City. Go to Sin City. Go to Las Vegas and start preaching against gambling on the street corners. Kind of what he's asked to do. Go to the heart of where sin is. Go to the very heart and center. It's always the cities. It's always in the cities. And he says, go into this massive city, this sin city. Go there, Jonah. And cry out against its wickedness because it's coming up. And I see it. And I hate it. So why is this so unique? Because prophets often spoke out against surrounding empires or authorities in their day. In fact, most prophets cried out. They would cry out against other cities. They would cry out against other nations. They would even cry out against the wickedness within their own place. But to be sent to one was not normally part of the job description. Jonah's description and Jonah's job description is totally unique. Arise, go to Nineveh. Now, there were some others that got taken to places. Daniel got taken to a place. But to Jonah, he says, go. Jonah says, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's not in the normal job description of a prophet. And that's why it's unique. Because God is sending a message here in this. And God is writing in the stories of history in the Old Testament that the day is coming when I want to reach the entire world. I want to take the gospel to every tribe, every nation, every people group. And I'm going to need people to go to go, to leave home, to arise, go, and cry out. That's Jonah. So Jonah gets a job description that's not like everybody else's in his time. So Jonah could say, wait a minute, Lord, this isn't fair. I'm going to have to give up everything I have to go up there. 
And in all likelihood, when I go up there, probably won't survive the experience. Because Jonah was aware that prophets didn't have a great track record in Israel either. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. How I would have longed to gather you as a hen gathereth her chicks, but you would not. They even killed the Messiah. Prophet, priest, and king, and they nailed him to a cross. Jonah's saying, I don't want to get that. So what is God doing here for Jonah? In these couple verses of Scripture, first of all, God is providing Jonah with the information needed to face the task. Jonah, this is what I need you to do. Here's a list of things I need you to do. I need you to rise, get up. I need you to go to Nineveh, specific. And I need you to cry out against it because her sin has come up before me. God is carefully providing Jonah the information that Jonah needs to make the decision and to go and to perform the task that God wants him to perform. All the information. So God is clearly stating the issue to be faced. Okay, And I, I, I like to say it this way. I put it up on a screen. It is not an issue between Jonah and Nineveh. That's not the issue. Okay, It is an issue between God and Nineveh. And Jonah is simply the instrument God wants to use. And that is exactly how it is today for us. The issue for you isn't, it isn't you and Elizabethtown or Mount Joy or all the other towns that are around you. That's not the issue. It's not you and them. The issue is God and them. That's the issue. God is simply saying in Jonah, and down the road, he's going to fulfill this in all of us. You are the instrument that I am going to send to Nineveh, to Elizabethtown, to whatever town, to say that I have an issue with your sin. And we become the spokesmen. We become the people who communicate the message. We become the ones that God uses. Because the issue is God and Nineveh. And that's the information that Jonah needs. Now, if you're Jonah, what's your response? <laughs> yeah, Lord, I'll gladly go. Uh, I don't think so. It's kind of like when you go back to the life of Abraham. Supposing God came to you and said, take your firstborn child, your only child, and I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. I want you to kill your son. I want you to kill your first child. If God came to you and asked you to take your child out to Ahil, build an altar, and on that altar, sacrifice your child, what's your response? Sure, Lord, I'd be glad to do that. They were acting up anyway, right? <laughs> now just remember this. At the time Abraham takes his son out there, he's about 30 years of age. He wasn't a little kid. To take your 30-year-old, take him out and 
sacrifice them. What's your response? You going to wrestle with God on that one? Be honest, I would be. I'd be saying to God, I don't know if I can do that, Lord. I couldn't do that. And that's exactly how it was for Jonah. Go to Nineveh. What? Yeah, go to Nineveh. Stand in the middle of the city and cry out against it because her wickedness has come up before me. Yeah, not the message you want to receive, right? Not the information you want. In fact, E-Town looks pretty good, doesn't it? If you didn't know the rest of the story, how do you think it would read if it were a novel? You know. Then the Lord says this in verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Let's just work this verse over a little bit, can we? Notice in the verse it says this, Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He's not trying to flee Nineveh. He's trying to flee God. And he goes away from the presence of the Lord. And it says it in this verse two times. It makes the statement in this verse. It says, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarsus, away from the presence of the Lord. See it? When the Bible makes a statement twice, you really pay attention because there's emphasis in this verse. But the verbs in this verse are incredible to look at. Notice what it says, but Jonah rose to flee. God says, arise, Jonah arose, but he arose to flee. Then it goes on and says, he went down to Joppa. And everything from Jerusalem is going down. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. Boy, that guy, he got the ride of his life, didn't he? Hershey Park couldn't match the ride he's about to go on. He went on board, and off he goes. What's he doing? He's ditching God. He's ditching God. And he's disobeying God. But here's where it's really interesting. We always try to justify our disobedience. You ever notice that? Kids are experts at it. We always try to justify our disobedience. Well, but it's always a reason. This individual, that individual. It's not an issue between individuals. The issue is between you and God. It's Jonah and God. 
It's not Jonah and Nineveh. You see, rowing harder doesn't help if the boat is headed in the wrong direction. I think I'll show this to you next week in a map. But if I can put this in perspective to you, this is what Jonah does. Jonah's living in, let's say, Philadelphia. And God says, go to Prince Edward Island and preach the gospel. Okay? Y'all familiar with Prince Edward Island? Go to Prince Edward, you know, Anna Green Gables. That, well, okay, don't get off. Go to Prince Edward Island from E-Town and call out against it. And you know where Jonah goes? Honolulu. He gets on a ship to go to Honolulu because to take it, here was Jerusalem, here was Nineveh, Tarshish was in Spain. As fast and as far to the other side of the Mediterranean Sea as he can get. That's where he's headed. Because he's ditching God. Are any of you aware of any character in the Bible that God used that was not seriously flawed by sin? Take heart, guys. The reason that the stories of these people are in the Bible are for our encouragement. Because like them, we're all flawed. We're all flawed. We're good at seeing the flaws in others. We tend to be blind to our own blindness. Every character in the Bible was flawed by sin. And that's why not only do we need Jesus to be our Savior the day we realize our sinfulness and the day we realize that because of our sinfulness we're deserving of condemnation in hell, And so when we come to the realization of our own sinfulness and we cry out to God, say, would you forgive me of my sin because I deserve condemnation, I deserve judgment, I deserve death? And we ask Jesus to be our Savior, and he reaches down and saves us by his grace and by his mercy. He does that every day of our lives. He saves us, and he remains our Savior. We're saved here but we still need a savior. Jonah is a prophet who prophesied in Israel, but Jonah is a prophet who's now ditching and disobeying God, and God is going to go after him. And the problem we have, we can run from God, but the problem is God can always run faster than any of us can run. And he will always, he will always run after his kids. Always. Because he is our savior not only of the day we came to become a Christian, but he's our Savior every day in every way. And the first thing that God has to do is rescue Jonah from Jonah. And I honestly believe that what God is doing in Hurricane Harvey is trying to rescue America from America. We are becoming our own worst enemy. And Abraham Lincoln's predictions, I think it's Abraham Lincoln's, if this nation is to be destroyed, it will not be destroyed by forces from without. It will be destroyed by forces from within. He was so right. I may have the wrong guy. America needs a savior today. 
as much as it ever has. And God is just trying to rescue us from ourselves. It's Jonah. What is the heart of the problem with Jonah's response? This is what I want you to see. This is the issue. Who does Jonah have an issue with now? Nineveh or God? You see, Jonah made the issue Nineveh. But that's not the issue, guys. And this is what was started in the garden and has come down to us through all of human history. We never want to deal with the problem. We always try to deal with symptoms. And we always try to shift the blame somewhere else. It's human history. Adam said, this woman that you gave me. And ever since that day, Jonah doesn't want the issue to be between him and God. He has to make it Nineveh. Nineveh. Nineveh, God. Nineveh. And that's what we always do. And that's why my dad had a saying. He said this, the issue is never the issue. It's what we make the issue because we're trying to duck the issue. Welcome to Jonah. Okay. Well, I can't go into E-Town. There's a drug problem in there. Uh, it just shifted the blame. And we do it. I do it all the time. We're masters of it. But who would Jonah say the issue is with? G.K. Chesterton from history says this. When we sin, that's something which we choose to believe in is not no God, but ourselves as God. And that's the issue. Idols of the heart. We put ourselves in the position of God. And that's what Jonah did. Chester then went on to say this. The root of every human problem is our desire to be our own God and to carry out Justice the way we ourselves are sure is best. That's Chesterton. That's Jonah. That's what comes out of this story. That's what comes out of life. He's just like us. He's just like us. Just like us. Well done. He said, in all of human history, there has been only one who concluded at every point and in every way, that God's way is always best, and God's call is always right. Because of him, every human problem will someday come to an end. We're not going to solve racism. We're not going to be able to solve injustice. But someday Jesus Christ is going to solve it. And when we get to heaven, it'll be every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people group. And we'll all get along. We'll all get along. Only Jesus can solve this. And only salvation can solve this. And salvation is the beginning of resolving injustice and racism in our world. Chavidian went on and said this, in the meantime, we'll never see an end of our own misery if we do not recognize Jesus. 
See, that's Jonah's problem here. He's ditching God. This one who perfectly submitted to God's way and God's call. But remember, remember, Jesus is the only one who submitted to God's call and to God's way. And where did it take him? Where did it end him up? The way people come to salvation is through our willingness to follow God's call and God's way and listen. But it's this. We will decrease so that He can increase. See? Now, I'm not going to say it's the end of you on a cross, but I'm going to say this to you. It involves the sacrifice of us, the willingness on our part to say, this is God's way. We will pursue it. We will always pursue this. This is our instruction manual. This is how we resolve every issue. This is how we go forward. Always following this. Always doing things the way God says, not the way we say. It's the only way it works. It's the only way that God can bring about the reconciliation of Nineveh because he performs a revival in Nineveh through Jonah, the disgruntled prophet. So what would happen if every human being concluded that God's way was the right way and God's call was the right call? What if everybody here today just said, we're going to follow Scripture wherever it takes us. We're going to pursue God's way. Think we'd resolve issues and problems? The answer would be every human problem would end. And that's someday what will happen. John Calvin said it this way, and I'll quit with this. Remember who I am and be content with my authority. Not talking about John Calvin, he's talking about God. Remember who God is and be content with God's authority. For God has already at hand all the resources. When anything stands in your way, rely on God's power and execute what I commanded you. And that's really what he says to Jonah. Jonah is a picture. It's an Old Testament story of truths that really get unpacked in Jesus. And they get unpacked in our lives today. Because our life today is much like Jonah. Go to Baghdad. Cry out against it. See? What's our response? You may be here this morning and not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's where it all begins. Recognizing your own sinfulness. Coming to Christ. You're here today as a Christian. Then it's this. We follow God's way all the time. Not ditch God. Not disobey God. But here's the way God wants everything done. We follow it. Amen? Father, thanks for the time together in your word today. For the life of Jonah, a character that just is so much like us. And as we unfold him, I pray that we'd see your grace, your mercy, your goodness in our own lives. 
So guide us and direct us. Help us today to submit to your word. Help us to submit to your authority. Help us always seek your way, not ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.